I've entitled today's message, uh, What Makes Christmas uh, So Special? Uh, to be honest with you, I actually stole the title uh, from Andy Johnston, our Minister of Music, who made a uh, video that will be shown at the Christmas Eve service in which uh, various people from our church answered the question, what makes Christmas so special to me? And I know this because our daughter Carissa was selected to be one of the uh, participants, and she is very excited about her film debut uh, Wednesday night. So you'll want to be at the Christmas Eve service just to see Carissa on the uh, big screens. Uh, The text that I've chosen for today's message, uh, Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21, may seem to be a very strange Christmas text. Uh, It tells the story of Jesus returning to his hometown of Nazareth after he had begun his ministry. Uh, And he's asked to read the scriptures in the synagogue service. Now, what caught my eye in relationship to Christmas is a little phrase that Jesus spoke in verse 18. He simply said, he, referring to God, sent me. God sent me, and then, in probably greater clarity than any other place in the Bible, he lists the reasons why God sent him to earth on that first Christmas in Bethlehem. So let's begin by looking at the background of this passage, and then uh, let me simply review uh, the story of when Jesus returned to his hometown of Nazareth. Uh, Jesus began his ministry about a year uh, before returning uh, to Nazareth. He had already been baptized uh, by John the Baptist. He had battled with the devil for 40 days in the uh, wilderness. He had selected his disciples. He had uh, cleansed the temple of the money changers. And he had had his encounters with Nicodemus and the woman at the well. He had already performed his first miracle at the wedding of Cana when he transformed the water into the wine. And by this time, he had begun to proclaim the gospel to multitudes throughout Judea, Samaria, and Galilee. He had begun to heal thousands of people of every imaginable disease and sickness. He had begun to deliver people from demonic possession. And by this time, his fame had literally spread Uh, throughout the entire nation. Jesus left Nazareth a homeboy, but he returns a national celebrity. We are told in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, that while at Nazareth, he attended the local synagogue service. And I guarantee it was high attendance day, uh, with every pew packed to see their homeboy, now the new sensation, the new miracle worker. All eyes were on Jesus. Uh, Most were seeking a miracle. Some were sympathetic uh, to Jesus and his teachings. Others were jealous of his overnight popularity, uh, while others just downright believed he was a fraud. Uh, They were all there. Jesus, we're told, is invited to read the Scripture And he chooses Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2 as his text. 
which uh, is uh, recorded in Luke 4, 18 and 19. The Lord, uh, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me. That's the phrase that sort of captured my attention and my heart in preparation of this message. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. After reading the Scripture, Jesus simply rolls up the scroll, gives it back to the attendant who put it back in its place, and Jesus sat down, which would have been the protocol in synagogue worship. They would have stood to read the Scripture in honor of God's Word, And then he would have sat down to then share the sermon, to share the message. And with every eye fixed on Jesus. I mean, you could have heard a pin drop. There was just a hush. What is this new sensation, the miracle worker going to say? And then he simply made this comment. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, I hope you picked up a copy of the sermon notes. So at this point, please begin to follow along. In that first point, look at the relevance of Christmas. The relevance of Christmas, and here it is, God came to earth. That's the relevance of Christmas. God came to earth. Again, notice Luke 4, verse 21. And He began to say then to them, Today, this Scripture that he read from Isaiah 61, has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, the significance of that is this. Every single Jew in that synagogue knew that the Isaiah 61 passage was a prophetic reference to the coming Messiah. In essence, Jesus was saying, you came here to see a celebrity, but I have come to give you my credentials, and I am the Messiah. The Christ, the Son of the living God, with all power and with all authority. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, we read, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He, Jesus, existed before anything was created. And He is the supreme over all creation. For through Him, through Jesus, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. Everything was created through Him and for Him. Look at Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And then Philippians chapter 2 verses 6 and 7. Though He was God, though Jesus was God. He did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born a human being. What makes Christmas so special? Because on Christmas, that first Christmas, God came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. Now look at the second truth, which is really the heart of the message today. And that's the reason for Christmas. In other words, why did He come to earth? And He came to bring good news to sinners. 
He came to bring good news to sinners. In other words, He came for your benefit. You were on His mind. You were on His heart. You motivated Him to come and to bring good news to you as a sinner. And He came to bring good news not only to you, but to all of mankind. You know, the Bible says, what, all have sinned and fallen what? Short of the glory of God. The Bible says the wages or the payment of sin is death. And death is separation from God, not only in this life, but in the next life. God's appraisal of the entire human race, here it is, that we are depraved by sin and doomed for hell. But notice, Jesus did not come to the earth to judge sinners. He came to the earth to what? To bring good news to sinners. The word gospel means good news. So what is the good news that Jesus was sent to this earth to bring to sinners like you and me? First, good news to the spiritually, get it down in your notes, destitute. He came. He was sent to this earth to bring good news to those who are spiritually destitute. Luke 4, verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. When Jesus says He came to preach good news to the poor, He is referring to those in spiritual poverty. He's referring to the sinful condition of men who are empty of any righteousness to buy heaven's pardon and are doomed and deserve nothing but what? God's judgment. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Jesus said, blessed or happy, content, satisfied are the poor in spirit. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, blessed are those who realize their spiritually bankrupt condition and are reduced to being beggars before God, crying out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You ask, how could God extend His mercy to sinners like us? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Where our sin does abound, His grace, what? Does much more abound. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for our sake He became poor, that you, through His poverty, might become rich. On the cross, Jesus took on your spiritual poverty so that you could possess His spiritual riches. The sacrifice of His righteous life, the sacrifice of His sinless, pure life on Calvary's cross paid off your sin debt to God. And then He rose again. He's alive to deposit His righteousness into the spiritual account of anyone who will put their trust in Him. Now, beloved, that 
is good news. That is good news. And have you exchanged your spiritual poverty for his spiritual riches? You know, I'll never forget the day. I will never forget the day. On September 20th, 1970, when I exchanged my poverty for his riches. As a teenage boy, I had deliberately, intentionally, willfully, consciously, knowing exactly I had rejected Jesus. I had rejected the church. And then that sent me down a path of trying to find where is true meaning and fulfillment in life. And you could sum up my life before Christ with these verses out of Proverbs. There's a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is death. Even in laughter, the heart is in pain, and the end of joy is grief. You know, for a good long while, after I rejected Christ, I thought I was having a great time. I thought I was the life of the party, and a lot of people had that same perspective of me. But that led me into a life of alcohol, a life of drugs, a life of immorality. And eventually, that lifestyle took its toll on me. And one day I woke up, and folks, it was like a switch had just been turned off. There was now no more fun in what I was doing. There was no more joy. There was no more sense of fulfillment. Just emptiness. Just the ache of a hurting, depressed heart. And worst of all, I woke up realizing I was addicted to that lifestyle. That I was trapped. That I couldn't get out. I mean, I literally got to the place where I would have given anybody, I would have sold my soul to anyone if they could have told me how to break away from that lifestyle and get out of the mess and the junk that I was in. But folks, I didn't know how. I was just wallowing in my own vomit. Excuse the expression, but that's about the best way to illustrate it. And then God, in His infinite mercy, He brought me into contact with some authentic believers where I saw the reality of Jesus Christ. And folks, I can't even begin to express the hunger and the thirst it created in me. I wanted what they had so bad. I mean, when I first came into contact with them, I'll be honest with you, I laughed at them, I scorned them, I mocked them, I ridiculed them. But the longer I had contact with them, I saw they had everything that I was seeking. They had real life that was authentic, full of joy, meaning, purpose, direction, peace in the midst of the storm. And I got to the place, I I want what you have, and I couldn't figure out how to get it. I was blind to see Jesus in them who was producing those fruits, that was producing that lifestyle. And then on September 20th, one of those believers said this from 1 John 5, He that has the Son has life. But he that has not the Son has not life. And then, folks, 
the lights came on. God penetrated the darkness of my depraved heart. And I saw they have what they have because they have Jesus. I don't have it because I've been doing this to Jesus. And that night, alone, on my knees, at my bedside, I turned my life and my heart to Jesus Christ. I exchanged all that spiritual poverty and junk for His riches. And my heart became His home. And you know what? I woke up the next day, and I got about halfway through the day, and it hit me. I'm changed. I'm different. For the first time, I can walk away from the drugs. I can walk away from the alcohol. I can walk away from the immoral living. And folks, that day, God delivered me. And God saved me. And God changed me. And I never went back to that lifestyle. And it's been a joy now for the last 44 plus years of walking with Jesus. Amen. I've never, amen, I've never made a better transaction than that to exchange my spiritual poverty for his spiritual riches. And there's no better decision that you could ever make as well. Look at the next thing. He not only came to give good news to the spiritually destitute, but to give good news to the brokenhearted. Good news to the brokenhearted. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. You know, let's... Let me be very, very transparent for, for a moment. This past year, there have been a lot of broken hearts here in the Edgewood family. Uh, we have had our share, our membership have had its share of adversity, of a tragedy, of dealing with the loss of loved ones, dealing with grief. And you know, when we hurt, we're often tempted to think God is distant or that God does not care. The pain, let's just be honest. What happens is that the pain and the perplexity of our grief just often blocks our ability to see God. Like a storm cloud can, can hide the presence of the sun. But beloved... We should not conclude God is absent in times like that any more than, than you would conclude uh, the sun is not there because you can't see it because of the clouds. We read in Psalm thirty-four, eighteen. look at that beautiful, beautiful verse. The Lord is, what does it say? Close. The Lord is what? Close to the brokenhearted. Are you brokenhearted? The Lord is close. And what does He want to do in coming close to you, in approaching you? He wants to save those who are what? Crushed in spirit. If you're brokenhearted, Jesus is close. And He's approaching you to save you from that crushing of your spirit. Matthew Henry wrote, And I love this. He says, sometimes God is in the dark, but never at a distance. 
I also like what a doctor once said. He says, when the dust of my troubles settles, God is standing there next to me. And he has dust on his shoulders because he's been there all along. If you are brokenhearted this morning, I want to give you three guarantees. Number one, there is no heart that is so broken that God cannot mend it. There is no heart so broken that God cannot mend it. But it does require you surrendering that broken heart to God. Placing that broken heart in the nail-pierced hands of Jesus who loves you, who cares for you, who wants to save you and deliver you. The only one who can take that pain, take that adversity, and with those nail-pierced hands, shape it and transform it for your good and for His greater glory. Amen? The second guarantee, now listen to this. In every loss you suffer, don't miss this. In every loss you suffer, there's an opportunity to gain more of Jesus as you learn to lean on Him. You know, the Bible says, God, what causes all things to work together for what? Good. And I love what David said in Psalm 73. He says, the nearness, listen to this, the nearness of God is my good. Therefore, anything that draws me nearer to God, anything that would draw me to Him to learn to lean on Him is ultimately for my, what? Good. So God wants to use that broken heart to open your eyes to see your dependence upon Him, to create a desperation in your heart for Him that will produce a determination to embrace Him and to surrender your life to Him, to gain more of Him. And then the third guarantee, and here it is. It's just this simple. No matter how deep your grief God's love runs deeper. No matter how deep you have fallen into your grief, you have plunged into that dark well, God's love is deeper. And once caught by God's love, there is no escape from that love. He loves you with a love that will never let you go. Notice also Jesus came to earth to bring good news to what? To Satan's captives. Jesus came to earth to bring good news to Satan's captives. Luke 4.18, to proclaim, he says, liberty to the captives. You know, after over 44 years of ministry, I've learned this. And this is something I've learned. I would not have had this confidence years ago. But I can stand before you as God is my witness. And I can say that there is no person 
beyond God's deliverance and redemption. There is no person beyond God's deliverance and redemption. There are no chains. There are no strongholds. There are no addictions of the devil which God cannot break and set a person free. In John 8, 36, Jesus said, If therefore the Son shall make you free, you shall be what? You shall be free, what? Indeed. You know, some of you will know the person that I'm talking about, but I've had the privilege for several years now to work to a woman, with a woman, who was once Satan's captive, but not anymore. I won't go into great details about her testimony, But this was a woman that suffered terrible, terrible abuse. It's really beyond description. There are many things that you could never even share in a form like this. But she suffered uh, captivity. She suffered neglect. She suffered sexual abuse that was related to satanic rituals. And this took place in her life from her preschool years to her teenage years. You can imagine the devastation. Plunged her into depression and despair and anxiety. She suffered virtually every eating disorder that you can have. She developed a terrible drug addiction just to try to escape the pain of her past. And yes, she had been a victim, but she realized as she grew, as she, got, she was not just a victim. She had also made some very terrible choices and had chosen to do some very terrible things. And I'll never forget, on one of our occasions when we met, been working with her for, for a while, and to be very honest with you, I had every reason to believe that she was a child of God and was approaching things from that fashion. That was one of the things I attempted to do early on, was just to appraise where she was at spiritually. But one afternoon she came in, and bottom line, this is what she said. She said, Brother Andy... When you just tear everything away. When you, when you just strip me naked. And there is nothing but my heart before God. Here's what's there. I believe I am. This is her exact words. I believe I am a child of the devil beyond God's redemption. That was the captive hold that the devil had on her. And I turned to her and excited, enthused. I said, I have good news for you. Jesus was sent to proclaim liberty to the captives, to set individuals like you free. You no longer have to be a child of the devil. You're not beyond God's redemption. He sent His Son to die on Calvary's cross for you. And He rose again to offer you new life 
and forgiveness and freedom. And that day in my office, she renounced the works of the devil. She renounced the hold of the devil. And she turned to the embrace of Jesus Christ. And she was set free and walks in that freedom and grace today. And what God did for her, He can do for you. And then He also came to bring good news to all blinded in darkness. He came to bring good news to all blinded in darkness. Luke four eighteen and recovery of sight to the blind. Because humanity rebelled against our Creator, we lost God's light. And we became doomed to live in perpetual darkness. Isaiah wrote, Darkness as black as night covers all the nations of the earth. The Apostle Paul wrote, Being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God. And Job simply put it this way, They grope in darkness without a light. Just as the human eye cannot see without light, our spiritual eyes cannot see without God's light. If God had not taken the initiative to send the light of Christ to earth, we would have been doomed to live in eternal darkness and damnation. But praise God, He did not leave us in the dark. He sent the light of Jesus to show us the way to salvation. Look at that beautiful passage in Luke 1 from the paraphrase, the message. Through the heartfelt mercies of God, God's sunrise will break upon us, shining on those in the darkness, those sitting in the shadow of death, then showing us the way, one foot at a time, down the path of peace. You know, this verse is not in your notes. But in John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the, what? Light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Do you know why we often approach a new year with great fear and anxiety? It's pretty simple because we don't know what the new year is going to hold. And living in this fallen world, that can be a very frightening reality. But the good news is Jesus knows. You may not know what the future holds, but He knows. He sees every decision, every problem, every trap you will encounter as you move forward in life into the new year. And my admonition, follow Jesus' light, and He will guide you to the right decision. Follow Jesus' light, and He will guide you to the provision of every need and the solution to every problem. Follow Jesus' light, and He will guide you around every one of Satan's traps. Amen? Amen. And then notice, He also came to bring good news to the downtrodden. Good news to the downtrodden. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. In other words, he's just talking about those that have just literally been beat up 
and trampled by life. Like our brother Jeremy. Jeremy's been beat up. He's been trampled by life. He suffers every single day. He suffers physical pain. He suffers emotional pain. And there's great spiritual challenges. But when I look at my precious brother Jeremy and his wife Jennifer, Jacob and Josie, you know what I, you, you know what I see? Afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not to the point of absolute despair and hopelessness. Yes, persecuted, intimidated by life's trials and adversities, but not forsaken. And yes, often knocked down in life's contest, but not knocked out. Because Jesus is there to pick us up. And then that passage goes on to say, always caring about the death of Christ in our body. That what? The life of Christ might be expressed through us. So in reality... Their adversity is working for your good. Their adversity is working for the salvation of multitudes of individuals that have been reached through this testimony, especially young athletes. And then that passage goes on to say, and this is what we see, although the outward man, although the outward man, is deteriorating day by day. The inward man is being what? Renewed day by day. While we look not on things which are seen, but those things which are unseen. While we look not on those things which are temporal, but those things which are eternal. And Jeremy has learned to say, Jennifer has learned to say, for to me to live is what? Christ and to die is gain. They can't lose. The victory is already theirs, and it's already yours. Look at Matthew eleven, twenty-eight and 29. Are you oppressed? Have you been beaten down, trampled by life? Are you suffering from disappointment? And by the way, let me just say, for believers, I've been in the ministry, as I've mentioned already, many, many years. Disappointment is the elephant in the room that no one wants to talk about as a believer. I've come to the conclusion the greatest challenge for every believer is dealing with disappointment. When God does not come through as you would have expected Him to come through, when life doesn't treat you fairly, and we begin to question, does God really care? Is God really fair? Folks, that's a challenge. And don't you think this family has had those same questions? But I've told you many, many times from this pulpit, here's reality. We live in a fallen world. It's not right. And God in His sovereignty has chosen that Christians will not be immune from the adversities of living in this fallen world. That He will use those adversities for our good, for His greater glory, the advancement 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are called upon when we cannot trace God's hand to trust God's heart. And here's Jesus' invitation to you. If you're oppressed, downtrodden, struggling with disappointment, he says what? Come to me. Come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. And what? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest in your souls. Beloved, the ways of God is when you're dealing with adversity, is not to give you an explanation and answer your question why. He doesn't give an explanation. He gives a promise like this one. And he says, come to me. In this, find my adequacy, find my sufficiency, find my grace to be perfected in your weakness, and I will give you rest. And then look at the final point in the message. And that is the result of Christmas, and it's very, very simple. You can experience God's salvation. That's the result of it all. The relevance is God came to earth. The reason was to give good news, to bring good news to sinners like you and me. And the result is, we can now experience God's salvation. Luke 14, 9, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. That phrase, I wish I had more time, but our time's gone. That phrase refers to the year of Jubilee. Do you know what the year of Jubilee was in Jewish life? You can go back into Leviticus and discover this. But every 50 years came the year of Jubilee. Every 50 years. And on the year of Jubilee, all debts were removed. All debts were canceled out. If you had lost property, it came back to you. Everything on the year of Jubilee was reconciled, made right. The land laid fallow to be at rest. It was a time of celebration. And do you know when the year of Jubilee began? It began on the Day of Atonement. When the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and make atonement for the sins of the people. And when he came out after making atonement, when it was that 50th year, Jubilee was announced and celebrated. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm proclaiming, with my coming, we've started an eternal jubilee. Because I have come to bring spiritual riches to those who are destitute, to heal the brokenhearted, to bring liberty to the captives, light to those in darkness, and hope to the downtrodden. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So as we extend our invitation this morning, if you're here and you've never come to know Jesus, you've never come to know our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, you've never exchanged your spiritual poverty for His riches 
to put your trust in Him, to make your heart His home. Oh, beloved, come. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. The only one who can give you rest, the only one who can give you life and light and love that will last forever. And believer, has God stirred your heart? Have you forgotten, maybe drifted, neglected from these truths? You find yourself wallowing in your pity, in your pain, in your adversity. And so you just need to return to your first love, rejoicing. I forgot, it's jubilee. And just love Him. Rejoice in His grace that has apprehended you. And that will keep you through all eternity.